CB On Air, cutting-edge conversations with those in the central banking community. Hello and welcome to this episode of CB On Air's Rewiring Macro series. I'm pleased to have the Bank of England's Arthur Turrell with me in the studio today. In the past few years, Arthur has gone from postdoctoral researcher in plasma physics at Imperial College London to research economist at the Bank of England. Uh, and today we're going to be discussing how agent-based modelling could open up a new frontier for macroeconomics. Arthur, welcome. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. So firstly, to, to address my burning question, um, can you tell me a bit about how you went from plasma physicist to, to economics at the Bank of England? Yeah, sure. I guess it's not that obvious uh, a transition, so it's uh, worth explaining a little bit. Um, there, there were two real reasons. One was push and uh, one was pull, really. Um, the, the push was that I was um, thinking about what I was going to do next. And um, as, you, as you know, it's uh, there are a lot of short-term contracts in physics. And um, in my particular field of physics, um, there hadn't been uh, many long-term kind of permanent positions awarded for a while. So I was thinking about other options outside of physics, essentially, um, although I still very much uh, enjoy physics and am interested in it. And um, the pull was really what had been going on in the economy since the time, basically, when I had graduated from my undergraduate degree, which to me was kind of extraordinary. And I think to most people was extraordinary. Yeah. It was certainly very interesting. And alongside my studies in physics, I had picked up an interest in economics, reading popular economics books, uh, sometimes even dipping into textbooks and things. Okay. And... Um, I got interested in that world, and as I was looking for other things to do, other interesting problems to work on beyond physics, I saw that the Bank of England had changed its research programme so that it was accepting people with PhDs in disciplines other than economics right. and finance, and it was broadening it out to a wider set of disciplines, and I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. Uh, particularly the opportunity to take ideas from the front of research, frontier of research mm. and apply them in a policy context, you know, uh, have them uh, get real world kind of buy-in and impact. Uh, it's very exciting for a researcher. Uh, and so that's what drew me to apply. And uh, hopefully that's what I've been doing for the last three years while I've been there. It, it seems like it so far, at least from, from what I've read. Um... Am I right in thinking your interest in agent-based modelling started before you got to the Bank of England with the physics? Yes, that's exactly right. So uh, my field in physics was plasma physics. And this is about the fourth state of matter. You know, you have solids, liquids and gases. And then if you put even more energy into a gas, then you get something called a plasma. It's important for lots of uh, different things, but particularly for nuclear fusion and nuclear physics. And um, it wasn't that I became interested in agent-based modelling uh, in and of itself, it's actually that I was trying to solve a really difficult problem in plasma physics, which was to try and work out how all of the individual behaviours of individual particles came together and drove behaviour at the aggregate scale, the kind of macro scale, if you like, uh, of the whole system. And I sat there trying to calculate this all analytically with mathematics, very complicated integral differential equations. And um, I kept running into walls, basically, and one of my supervisors came to me and he said, you know, Arthur, this is just too complicated to solve analytically. It's too complex a system. Uh, why don't you use Monte Carlo simulation? So uh, I looked into it and Monte Carlo simulation, which is what physic physicists typically call agent-based models, but it's pretty much exactly the same 
uh, idea really seemed to be the way to solve this problem. And uh, the beauty of it was that it took all of this individual behaviour and it did all the hard work for me and calculated what happened at the aggregate level. And, uh, you know, even if there were kind of emergent phenomena or complex relationships, it was able to get at those. And it was really a much simpler way of solving the problem. And this is a technique which is completely standard in physics, you know, whether it's calculating what's going on in a plasma or it's calculating how galaxies move around in the universe. Um, it's a really standard tool and it was very powerful in my problem. So naturally, when I moved over to the Bank of England, uh, and this is an area that some people in the bank were interested in, I got involved because I thought I could bring my knowledge of applying it in physics to problems in economics and finance. Right. And is it fair to say that economics hasn't got as far with the agent-based modelling as physicists have at the moment? Well, I don't think that's fair. I mean, okay. it, it's certainly been around a lot longer in physics, but, you know, in some ways physics is easy <laughs> uh, in the sense that uh, particles are fungible, so they're all the same, right. and uh, or, or particles of the same type are always the same, an electron is always an electron. And uh, we know the behaviours of particles very, very well. We've got really good mathematical descriptions for the behaviours of individual particles. We don't necessarily have good descriptions analytically of how all of the different behaviours of lots of different particles come together. But um, having the individual behaviours uh, very much locked down means that we can um, throw this into a model and be really quite confident about the answers that it gives us. Now, as you know, people are not fungible. <laughs> you know, we're all very yeah. different. And human behaviour is something which we still don't have, I would argue, a completely crystal clear understanding of, right? We don't know how people will behave in any given situation. So in some ways, uh, agent-based models are very different in economics. They aren't going to be as quantitatively useful as in physics, but I think they can be very qualitatively useful. Right. Okay. So to avoid going getting ahead of ourselves, can, can yeah. you uh, explain exactly what what do we mean by an agent-based model in economics and what are kind of the core building blocks of that? Yeah, sure. So an agent-based model in economics, or indeed in any discipline, is a model in which we describe the behaviour at the agent level. So the agents could be anything. They could be households, they could be firms, uh, they could even be governments, uh, they could be traders in a particular market. And we specify what the behaviours of those agents are and also sometimes what the properties of those agents are, so kind of initial distribution of wealth, uh, and then what their behaviours based on uh, what they see around them are. So we've got the agents, we've got their behaviours. We've also got uh, the agent-agent interactions, which is part of their behaviours, and that, that can be very important in some situations. And then finally we have the agent-environment interactions. So, um, you know, how does a firm respond to its regulatory environment would be one example. And, and actually, there's a very simple example of all of these, which might be helpful to kind of make this concrete for you, um, which is if you imagine um, traffic on a motorway, right? So we've got agents, which are the drivers, or actually now maybe it's the cars as well. But, you know, we've, we've got these agents on the road. Um, they are the agents. Their behaviours are going faster or slower. And we've got agent-agent interactions. You know, if one agent signals, then maybe the agent behind them does something different than they would have done otherwise. And we've got the environment as well. So we've got the speed limit, we've got the road, we've got the number of lanes. Right. 
So someone actually, uh, th this week I was speaking to someone else about agent-based modeling and they used a similar analogy and pointed out the difference between the, the kind of particle-based uh, modeling and the when you actually have agents that can make their own decisions. And if, if for instance, there's a crash on the other carriageway, mm -hmm. if you're modeling it with just fluid dynamics, they're not going to care if you're on the clear carriageway. But mm -hmm. if you have agents, they might slow down and have a look at it and, and that changes the results quite drastically. Oh, of course. I think that people's behaviours are really complex and actually i think one of the strengths of agent-based models is that it's rel they're, they're quite agile so it's relatively easy to try out different human behaviors and say well which one of these produces more realistic looking aggregate behavior right. um you know and that's obviously a difference with uh, agent-based models in physics where as i said the behaviors are very locked down i see okay um, and you, you mentioned the modelling philosophy behind ABMs in uh, one of your papers. Can yeah. you explain what that is and how it differs from, say, the core models of economics like DSGE models? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing to say is that, you know, all of these different types of models have uses and they're all kind of complementary. And um, one of the things that's different about agent, the philosophy, if you like, of agent-based models is that the models can surprise you, <laughs> I guess. And um, let me try and unpack that a bit for you. Okay. So I, I was using uh, a model um, in plasma physics I was trying to answer a particular question and I was looking for a particular kind of effect. And I put all of my kind of rules into my model uh, and the effect I ended up finding was completely unexpected. You know, right. It wasn't one that I'd put in a priori. It wasn't one that I'd imagined. It, you know, if you like in uh, macroeconomic models, we're looking for kind of channels of transmission or, or channels for things to happen. This wasn't a channel I'd imagined before. It was one that had come out of the model. And when it came out and I then went to describe it to colleagues, uh, they said, oh, that sounds a bit like this thing. And then I had to go and look up. My uh -huh. model had taught me some physics. <laughs> I had to go and look up what this model was actually telling me. There was a, a name of the effect, and then I could go and uh, investigate it further. Um, so I think because agent-based models uh, can give you, uh, can teach you something, can tell you about the kind of channels which are involved, they're a little bit different from some models. So for instance, uh, the kind of micro-founded structural models, where sometimes you have an idea ahead of time what yeah. channels you're looking for. And although you are working uh, initially with the kind of agent level uh, behaviours, the micro-founded behaviours, you're putting, you're putting in the rules that you need to see those behaviours emerge at the macro scale, and then you're solving it analytically, and then you're assuming that uh, things like equilibrium hold. Whereas in an agent-based model, you might not assume that uh, supply and demand reach an equilibrium. Mm. You, know, you let agents determine their demand and you let agents determine their supply and then you press go and you say, well, what happens? <laughs> you know, yeah. do, do, do these things meet? Do the mechanisms which are there allow these things to come together? Uh, so, so that's a really uh, big difference. And one of the advantages of it is it lets you get at emergent phenomena. Mm. So, I mean, the example of the traffic, the, the classic one, is the traffic jam, right? So right. all of the drivers are rational. They don't want to be in a traffic jam. Clearly, no one does. But what experiments have shown and what simulation agent-based models have shown is that one of the emergent phenomena is traffic jams, even if there is no blockage in the road. And it's the same with the way that birds flock together. You know, there's no plan there. They haven't yeah. decided that they'll flock together. They're just doing their own individual behaviours. But it leads to outcomes at the aggregate scale, which are not a priori predictable from the individual behaviours. There's another difference as well between these uh, 
kind of well, one of the big differences with agent-based modeling as compared to some other types of model which are used in economics which is the extent to which the computer is doing the hard work for you and so typically with a kind of micro-founded structural model uh, and I am talking about the kind of typical case here you would try and solve as much as possible as much as possible using mathematics you would solve it analytically and um, it's all very beautiful and it's interpretable as well you know you Mm. can kind of see what's going on what's causing what and that that's that has great benefits but the advantage uh, or one of the differences at least when you go to agent-based modeling is that you say well actually analytically this system as a whole is too difficult to describe but so i'm going to let the computer do it for me so yep. you specify the individual behaviors, then the computer does all the hard work of putting them together. And I would kind of describe it as an experiment in a computer, you know, and you right. should think about it a bit like an experiment. You know, it, it's a bit harder work. Um, you don't necessarily know exactly what the mechanism is. Like I had to in my case with my physics mm. work, I had to go off and investigate what was actually happening. I found an interesting effect. I thought it was physically plausible. But until I'd really investigated what was happening in the simulation, I couldn't understand it uh, because the simulation is numerical. So I had to vary the inputs and look at what that meant for the outputs and things like that. So that's a slightly different state of the world from using a micro-founded model where the channels are very clear because in some sense you've built in the behaviours from the bottom, you've assumed an equilibrium. So... That works if there's another part of physics or economics where you can you can look up the theory and say, oh, there is a theory that, yeah. that kind of applies to that. If you're kind of breaking completely new ground and maybe there's no intuition as to what the result is, how do you kind of check that it's a sensible result? Yeah, well, I actually think that there often is some intuition behind okay. the result, even if it's uh, a completely unexpected one. Either your model's wrong or it's giving you a plausible chain of events. Right. Uh, what's what's difficult is inve- investigating that chain of events, and you know, if your model is properly calibrated, and this is for microfounded structural models or for agent-based models, yep. then you have some degree of confidence in what's going on. Uh, but it, you know, it's not a get out of uh, thinking free card. Yeah, you still need to use your common sense and your judgment and qualitative judgment and say, well, you know, does this chain of events seem plausible? How robust is this? Uh, mechanism that I've discovered here. Okay, so we've we've touched on some applications of agent-based modeling, but what kind of things, particularly in economics, are they are they good at doing? So I think they've been very successful in looking at particular markets in economics, and if, so, th- th- there's the areas in which they've been applied successfully. That's one thing, and um, another sense is what kind of particular types of problem are they good at working on Mm. so i'll talk about the types of problem first so i think as i mentioned they're really good if there are kind of complex phenomena which are emergent so things which a priori would be very difficult to guess or understand or predict i think they're very good at situations with heterogeneity so in analytical models if you're taking account of very rich heterogeneity where people are different along lots of different dimensions at once Uh, it becomes very difficult to solve that mathematically. So just from a practical point of view, agent-based models are really good because they take the pain out of doing that heterogeneity and put it into uh, the computer. They make that responsible. And of course, computers have seen these huge improvements in hardware and software over the last few decades, which means they're very powerful and can solve these problems uh, very quickly. I think they're very good in situations where we have agent-agent interactions and where we have networks 
of agents. This is right. very interesting. You know, there are networks between banks, there are networks between firms, supply chains. There are networks between people in the economy. I'm very interested in how kind of sentiment might be transmitted amongst okay. kind of um, yeah. networks of people in the economy. And um, because you're doing things at the individual level, you're able to capture some of that rich um, connectedness as well in agent-based models. So those are the kind of problems where I think uh, you can usefully uh, apply these techniques. I think th there's a slight of one as well, which is that, as I said earlier, they're, they're quite agile. So we can swap in and out behaviours without having to resolve the entire model. Right. Uh, which is a bit of a difference to models which are more kind of analytically solved. We can just say, well, I'll just change this one equation at the individual level and see if that gives me different results. Okay. So those are the kinds of areas uh, or kind of um, properties which I think make them particularly useful in, in some areas of economics and finance. And then in terms of where they've actually been applied, well, I think they've been very successful in explaining certain stylized facts in financial markets. So clustered volatility is one example. Um, the cyclicality of some markets or um, you know the, the presence of bubbles is mm. another example. Yep. I'll give you some concrete examples that we've looked at at the Bank of England in research projects. Um, so I myself worked on a project where we did an agent-based model of the corporate bond market. So we were looking at how trading in corporate bonds uh, differed depending on the types of traders that were involved. And there is kind of uh, well-known different behavioural patterns for trading in corporate bonds, which okay. we incorporated into the model. And then we could look at different kind of uh, policies and scenarios in that market. We also, at the bank, have done an agent-based model uh, in collaboration with Doyne Farmers Group at Oxford on the housing market as well. And we actually looked at some policies which are quite similar to bank policies uh, in, in that model. And uh, the most recent thing that we've uh, published um, on our website is uh, an agent-based model of flash crashes as well. Oh, right. So accounting for these kind of effects which uh, in equilibrium completely disappear. Yeah. You know? um, these large uh, price swings, these uh, sudden changes due to um, human behaviour. And what kind of things would it be? Are there any questions that it's foolish to uh, try and reach for an agent-based model to explain or understand? Well, I think there are certainly areas where agent-based models are not the appropriate tool so uh, you know i want to emphasize that agent-based modeling is a tool like any other kind of model it's there to provide a parsimonious enough description of some salient features of reality right. okay so if your problem is quite simple or if your problem involves a well-known channel that you understand already then I think uh, an agent-based model is overkill because you have to do all of this work investigating what the actual channel is. Well, if you know the channel ahead of time and you know you're interested, then I think that's the time when a, a more micro-funded structural approach would be appropriate. Right. If you know that it doesn't matter that households are heterogeneous, but actually a representative household is appropriate for the problem you're working on, then that's a time maybe to use a representative agent within a, uh, a micro-founded structural model. So I think it you know, if you can get away with a simpler model that's more interpretable, then you should. Uh, it's when the world or when a system is complex that agent-based models are the go-to tool because other tools can't do the job, essentially. I also think that because we don't know human behaviours that precisely, they're less good at making quantitative predictions about what will happen in the future, given where we are today. 
I think they're much better at probabilistic interpretations of where we could go. I think they're much better at looking at kind of policy analysis or scenario analysis. What would happen if this was different? Right. Um, but I think if we want to do short-term forecasting, there are much better models for that. You know, the statistical models. There are vector autoregressions, there's machine learning, there's just doing plain old simple uh, OLS regressions. Yep. Uh, and those techniques are better at short-term forecasting. At medium-term forecasting, again, I think there are kind of probably better, uh, more parsimonious models out there. So it just depends on the area of application. Okay, and uh, correct me if I'm misinterpreting your paper, but you, when you worked with Andy Haldane on the uh, inter interdisciplinary model for macroeconomics paper, am I right in thinking you kind of were were envisaging a role for agent-based models where they uh, you might feel out new areas of theory and then you could use some of the results from those to, to plug into your, your big structural models and, and improve the theory that way? Completely, yes, exactly. So I guess this is something to do with modelling philosophy, again, if you like, that because these models can surprise you, you might discover transmission effects that you didn't know about previously. And you might say, well, now I've seen how that can happen in a complex environment, in a kind of costly-to-run model, I'm going to take the insights from that and I'm going to put it into a much more structural, analytically solvable model, which is more interpretable and more easy to tell other people about. And um, this is exactly what we did in the problem I mentioned earlier in uh, my physics work, where we had this mechanism, you know, uh, parts of it had been seen before, parts of it were new. Well, once we'd really understood it in our simulations, once they'd surprised us and we'd understood what was going on, we then came up with a, a much more parsimonious analytical model to kind of describe neatly what the kind of main features of that were. And it wasn't as precise at getting the answer as the full simulation, but it gave you a feel for what was important uh, mathematically. Um, so I envisage a very similar thing happening in using ABMs in economics, where they can tell us perhaps about some you know, features where heterogeneity causes a, a transmission mechanism that we didn't expect, and that we can then take that information and distill it if you like, and turn it into something which we can either uh, look at in an analytical model um, or just um, kind of understand and take account of when we're making qualitative judgments. Do you, uh, do you ever envisage an agent-based model of the entire macroeconomy in the, the same way that a DSGE model tries to capture everything or all of the, the salient facts? Of yeah, I think that's entirely possible. And actually, people have already published lots of papers which try and do just that. So I think that this, for me, is one of the most exciting areas of agent-based modelling, is to try and recreate what's going on uh, in, in the macroeconomy in models. And people have done it, but the, the models which are out there already have been quite far away from the more established dynamic stochastic general equilibrium or DSG models. Right. And I think that's been a bit of a problem, actually, because sometimes, even though we're all working to the same end, uh, sometimes, you know, there's, there's a, everyone wants their model to do the best, OK? But the reality is that these models are all complementary and we're all trying to understand right. the same mechanisms. And uh, what I'd really like to see in the agent-based modelling literature and in the DSG literature is models which come closer together, because I think we'll actually find a lot out from that uh, process. You know, so DSG models, which start to incorporate more agent-based modelling. And that's ex exactly what has happened, actually, in the work of people like Benjamin Moll, 
at Princeton. Right. So he's been doing these heterogeneous agent models, which start to introduce more heterogeneity. They, they are being solved more numerically. Um, so they're sort of going towards the agent-based modeling. And then there's some fantastic work taking the base assumptions of DSG models and then just changing the agents to be uh, numerically simulated at the last moment to have, say, heterogeneous information uh, to all behave kind of idiosyncratically somehow. And there's great work by Alessandro Gobbi and uh, Jacob Grazzini doing that kind of uh, work. But these papers are on, have only been appearing in the last couple of years, and it'd be really right. exciting to see where the literature goes next. So... Uh, that leads me neatly on to my next question, which is what are some of the key research questions still outstanding for agent-based modelling economists? Yeah, so as I said, I think for me, the most interesting ones are in macroeconomics. I think agent-based modelling has really proven itself in financial markets and in understanding some complex features of financial markets. Um, what I'm personally very interested in is household heterogeneity and the transmission mechanism of monetary policy. Right. So, you know, we've got an ageing population, um, could we capture some of the ways in which having a, a different demographic will change the transmission of monetary policy in an agent in a macroeconomic agent-based model? Because we've got that those extra kind of um, that extra ability to capture the fact that people are different by age or different by education, and so on. Uh, I think that's a really interesting question, both for research and for policy. Okay, and. Uh... Finally, I think you've, you've kind of answered this already almost, but uh, do you think we'll see wider adoption of agent-based models in the future? I certainly hope so. I think that a lot of questions, particularly at the macroeconomic level, are not that simple. You know, there's a lot going on. And I think when you do have complex systems where the results are not easy to guess ahead of time necessarily, then I think that's where agent-based modelling is a really useful tool uh, to aid our understanding, even if that understanding is, as I say, later distilled and put back into the kind of uh, more analytically solvable models that are right. more common right now. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks.